Okay, chapter 4. We're on the first page of chapter 4, I believe. On the right side, the right column, um, the area that begins, there's two dates on that area, 28th of Kislev and the 1st of Tevis. You know why there's two dates? Well, first of all, the Tanya is split up into the days of the year. So um, there's, a, there's a concept of learning Torah every day. And the previous Rebbe established that every Jew should learn a, a part of the Chumash every day, a part of Torah, uh, which that is in the parasha of the week, and there are seven parts to every parasha. So Sunday you do the first part, Monday you do the second part, etc. Right, so that's Chumash. Then there's the Tehillim. The Tehillim is split up into the days of the month. You finish with Tehillim every month. Um, so the Chumash, when do we start from the beginning? When do we start from Bereshit? After Simchas Torah. So we're already up to Lech Lecha now. Uh, so within one year, you finish an entire Chumash. So similar to the Chumash, uh, the previous Rebbe split up the Tanya into the days of the year. Now, the problem is, or it's not a problem, but the fact of the matter is that there are two types of years. Right? This there's year and a, last year. <laughs> this year and last year, exactly. <laughs> there's a 354-day year, then there's a 380-something-day year, right? 385-day year. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you do? So the previous Rebbe thought about that too, right? So you split up the Tanya into those... Sections. In other words, there, there's a, there's a way to learn the Tanya on a what's called Shana Pshuta, a regular year, and there's a way to learn the Tanya in a pregnant year, Shana Mu'beres, in the one that has a 13-month year, which is the year that we're going to have. However, when is the Reish Hashana, when is the beginning of the cycle of learning Tanya? 19th of Kislev. There you go, 19th of Kislev. It's a triangle year. It's a what? Triangle year. What's a triangle year? Triangle circle, that's how you know. Ah, the tri- very good, very good. Well, in the, in the blue book. And the blue one that you probably have at home is triangle circle. In the red one, it's um, regular, and then there's a circle with an L for leap year. <laughs> you see that? So if it's a regular year, you look at the you know the regular date. But if it's a leap year, you look at that. But right now, we're in the month of Cheshvan, which is before the 19th of Kislev. So we're still reading, reg- we're still finishing regular year. It get a little confusing if you're not used to it, but you get used to it pretty quickly. So one of the easy ways how to tell you where we're up to in a, in a Tanya book, so hey, go to the date of 28th of Kislev for a regular year, or go to the 1st of Tevis for a leap year. I don't know if that works the same in that book. He has that? Kislev yeah. Says, uh, there you go. Leap. Yeah, so over there, yeah, I, I guess he wasn't trying to save any ink, and he put right away, you know, leap year and regular year and all that type of stuff. All righty. Um, all right, so we're up to 28th Kislev and then 1st of Tevis. So what are we learning about in chapter 4? We're learning about the, the levushim, the garments of the soul. In chapter 3, we learned about the soul, the, the actual elements of the soul itself. The soul is made up of, of, of uh, intelligence and emotions. The intelligence has three parts to it. Chachma binodas, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And we explain it's not really just wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Those are three funny, funny words to use. Uh, it's really a flash of inspiration, uh, you know, analyzation, and then, applic- I say, bringing it down into emotions. I would call that more application uh, when it comes to intelligence. Then the emotions, they also have various different parts to the emotions. You have chesed, attraction, love. You have gvura, which is discipline, or, you know, whole, whole restriction. Um, and then there's, there's many other types of emotions that come as a result of that. Uh, but this is the essence of the soul. As this is the expression of the soul. How does the soul function in this world? In other words, like this. A soul in heaven, a soul in heaven has intelligence and emotions, and that's it. 
A soul in heaven doesn't function. A soul in heaven doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't do anything. A soul in heaven is a soul. A soul in heaven is only absorbing and appreciating the divine light. That's all it's doing. The soul in heaven cannot be creative. The soul in heaven cannot take initiative. The soul in heaven can't do anything. Right? We don't find the concept of a soul in heaven doing kindness with another soul in heaven. Souls in heaven don't need anything. Right? So, you know, it, it's an interesting type of reality. It's an inter interesting type of... Uh, I'm not going to call it interesting, but it's a, it's a certain type of being. It's a soul. What's the purpose of the soul? The purpose of the soul is to come down into this world in a body. Right? If the soul comes into this world without a body, it can't either do anything. It cannot express itself in this world either way. So it comes into a body. Now, how does the soul express itself through the body? So for that, there are three garments. These are the three garments that we're learning about in this, in, in this chapter. So there's thought, speech, action. These are the three garments of the soul. Thought functions mainly through the brain. Speech functions through the mouth. And action functions throughout the body, right? There are different ways how the body, uh, you know, does the function of action. Um, now, uh, how did he, so, so he says, so, so here we're talking about the, the divine soul. We're, we're focusing on the divine soul. So what are the thought, the speech and action of the divine soul? The divine soul only expresses itself in thought when we're talking about Torah thought. That's the only thing that the divine soul is able. I might even call it able. It's the only thing the divine soul does. That's the only thing the divine soul thinks is Torah. That's it. In other words, if you're thinking something that's not Torah, your divine soul is not involved. That's not an expression. That's not a function of your divine soul. That's an expression of the other soul, the animating soul, but not the divine soul. When you're learning, when you're thinking Torah, that's an expression of the divine soul, a function of it. Then in speech, right? When you speak, when you speak words of Torah, that's a function of the divine soul, of the nefesh of the kis. When you speak other words, nefesh of the kis is not, that, that's not it. That's the animating soul. Um, and then in action, the divine soul is expressed through the body in action through doing mitzvahs. Now, Al-Tarbah continues and says, don't think that these levushim, that these garments function separately from the intelligence and the emotions of the divine soul. In fact, they function together with it. In fact, the only way that a person can truly do the action of mitzvahs, can truly do the, you know, verbalize the words of Torah and can truly think about Torah, etc., is um, specifically if it is motivated by Ahava and Yira. Love for God and fear of God. And that love for God and fear of God is a result of the intelligence of meditating in the greatness of God, which brings to love, in the awesomeness of God, which brings to fear. <clears throat> so the soul is being expressed, the soul in its entirety is being expressed through the Levushim, through these garments. I had a question. I don't yeah. really has anything to do with it, but when mm -hmm. you just mentioned that in the class, the soul having intelligence and emotion. Yeah, yeah. So before that soul goes, comes down, like I was just thinking about, it goes into the body that's assigned to it, I guess. 
So when it goes back, is that now considered the soul of Abraham? The soul of and it was it's an unidentified soul before it comes down. And then once it occupies a body, it's actually been changed. Mm -hmm. Because it went into this body. And I guess that I don't know if the anim is animating soul come from it doesn't come from there. It comes from there. You know what I mean? I'm 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 wondering it doesn't know what body it's going into, so the challenge is it, it's gonna be who it's gonna be, that person. And then when it goes back, it's the soul of Abraham, the soul of Isaac. No, why? Why do you say that? Well when the soul leaves the body, in other words like this. Let's say you have a guy, Yankel Bettle. Yeah, let's just call him by a name. Yankel Barrel's soul, before he came down to his body, was Yankel Barrel's soul. Oh, it was always Yankel Barrel. Yeah, okay, it was right. always Yankel Barrel. Right. Proof to that, one of the simple proofs, <coughs> that Rizal says that when a parent names the child, it's like a, like Ruach HaKodesh. It's like like this divine spirit enveloped the, the parent and they gave the name to the child. Why? Because the name is the name of the soul. How would you know the name of the soul? That means you've been given certain insight in what's going on in heaven. Very fascinating, huh? Right. So, so at the same time, then you could say, okay, Moses got Moses' soul, right? Moses, Moshe's soul went into this body that became Moshe. I'll give you an analogy that yeah, might answer your question. Is, you know, my, my, so his anime, in other words, he, he was able to be the leader because he was able to conquer whatever his animating power his body had, the body that he was put into. Okay. That makes sense. Okay, yeah. A soul is not a battery. When you go to the store and you buy batteries, right? So different uh, gadgets need different type of batteries. Double A, triple A, whatever. doesn't matter. So this double A battery can power, uh, you know, I don't know, all different types of gadgets, right? From the most sophisticated to the most primitive. It doesn't matter. You put the battery in and you take it out. It's all the same battery. That's not a soul. A soul is not a battery that powers up bodies. A soul is an entire personality. In fact, the body... The, bat, the body is more of a battery, if you think about it that way. Bodies have no personality. Bodies are nothing. The personality comes from the soul. So when the soul comes into the body, what makes this body Yankel Betel, what makes this person Yankel Betel is not his body. It's a soul. So the same thing with intelligence. That was, that was my next question. So once the, the soul goes into, if it's a very intelligent soul, yeah. that's what activates the brain. It's not all. Well, 100%. Got, 100%. No, 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 no. It all soul. comes from the soul. Exactly. But these exactly. souls might come to a different body in another time. No? Now, now you're talking about reincarnation. Oh, different story. One second. And as we explained in the JLI course that discussed it, it's never that the entire soul comes back into that body. It's a chip of that soul. Yeah. The part of that soul that didn't do its job or whatever it is. It's a complicated business. Don't, don't get too involved in the business. But it's not that this soul, Yankel Barrel soul, now came into the body of Shmerel and now it has identity crisis. Am I the battery of Yankel Barrel's body that lived 300 years ago or Shmerel's body that's living today? No, that's not, that's not how it works. Souls aren't batteries and souls, uh, they say, don't get too nitty gritty into how the souls exactly work. This is what you got to know. Yeah. That every soul and every body is perfectly aligned with each other and every person is given a job from heaven, from God Almighty and has, has its purpose and it has its own challenges, etc. And its time here on earth is an exact a lot of time that God gave the soul, right? And the soul is going to leave the body at a certain point. And guess what? When Mashiach will come, the souls will come back into that body. Every body is going to wake up, is going to come, come back 
when Mashiach will come and the soul will be in the body and it's going to um, say, reap the benefits of everything that it, all the positive and wonderful things that it did in this world while it was here and whatever. Yeah, that's. But, but the concept here is let's not get too involved in those questions in order to understand what's going on in chapter 4 better let's just focus on this, this, this idea here that when the soul comes into the body so its intelligence and its emotions can only function in this world through the lavushim, through these garments right? and these garments by the way they're garments of the soul but they function through, through parts of the body right? They, they function through organs of the body through the brain, through the mouth through the hands and the feet, right? That, that, that's how they function. It's not that we're saying that the hands are a lavush, are a, are, are a more, more generally, the body is a garment to the soul, right? The more, more generally speaking, the soul functions through the body in a more general sense. But here we're going, we're, we're, we're still speaking on a more spiritual level. In other words, the soul contains within itself these three Levushim, these three garments. The power of thought, the power of speech, and the power of action. These powers function through the bodily organs. But we're not talking about the body right now. Not yet. We'll get to there in a moment. Right now we're talking about the levushim, the, the spiritual garments of the soul, that through these garments the soul is able to function in this world and through its body. Fine? So now, and remember, we're talking here about the divine soul. So if we're talking about the divine soul, let's kind of let, let's break this up in here for, for a moment. What does the divine soul's intelligence do? Understands God. What does its emotions do? Loves and fears God. What does its power of thought, what does its garment of thought do? Thinks Torah. What does its power of speech do? Talks Torah. What does its power of action do? Does mitzvahs. Right? So we've got it. Understanding God, loving God, and fearing God—that's in the emotions. Then there's thinking Torah, speaking Torah, and acting mitzvahs. Now let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. What is a higher and more sublime and more special function of the soul? Understanding God, loving God, and fearing God, or thinking Torah, speaking Torah, and doing mitzvahs? You say doing mitzvahs. I don't know why. All right, you, let's take a vote. You're saying Torah and doing mitzvahs. What do you say? I think mitzvahs. You say mitzvahs? Yeah. I would think that. Mitzvahs. All right, you guys are a bunch of Chabadniks. Very good. All right. So let me give you the counter argument first. I'll give you the counter argument for a moment. What could be more special than understanding God? You're, you're contemplating and understanding and appreciating the awesomeness of God and the greatness of God. Oof, this is, we're, we're high up there. We are in this world, yeah. the physical world. What's the advantage of being in the physical world and doing mitzvahs? Wouldn't it be better to run away from the physical world and run into a world of spirituality and think uh, about God? You want to run away, but you're still here. So okay, you okay. You cannot run away. Balance the bad or the evil in the world. So you have a job here. Yeah. Okay, good, fine. What were you saying, Marachaya? I didn't catch that. No, no, I said that you were agreeing. doing mitzvahs. Doing mitzvahs. Because that's the ultimate. It's the, you know, I mean, every, I'm sorry, Rabbi. I forgot to explain. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. That's my job to explain, not yours. So, so it's like this. So, so what, what's the deal? 
the reason why you're saying that mitzvahs are more important is because, hey, we're in this world and this is the job that we have, etc. The Tanya al is going to go even further and say, <laughs> not only is mitzvahs your job, but you can't compare the relationship one has with God through understanding God to the relationship that one has with God through a mitzvah. What, what's the difference here? Here's the difference. Let's continue here in the altar of his words, and then we'll go into the details. Now, these three are on the right side, bottom paragraph, 28 Kislev. Now, the, now, these three garments, deriving from the Torah and its commandments, although they are called garments <coughs> of the nefesh, ruach, and neshama, what's more important to you? Your brain or the hat that you wear on your head? The brain, the brain for sure. That's the question, right? The hat you're wearing on the head is what? Is a garment of the head, right? The hat is a garment of the head. The brain is what? The essence of your head, yeah? Without the without the brain, you're kaput. Yeah? So, so what's more important, the garment or the brain? The brain, for sure. And here we're calling thought, speech, and action garment. So even though they're called garments, nevertheless... Um, yeah, so their quality, so their quality, nevertheless, is infinitely higher and greater than that of the nefesh, ruach, and neshama themselves. The garment of the soul is infinitely greater than the soul itself. Infinitely greater than the intelligence and the emotions of the soul itself, as explained in the Torah. Why? Because, as explained in the Zayar, because the Torah and the Holy One, blessed is He, are one. The meaning of this is that the Torah, which is the wisdom and will of the Holy One, blessed is He, and His glorious essence are one, since He is both the knower and the knowledge, and so on, as explained above in the name of Maimonides. The soul is a part of God. The soul is understanding God. The soul is loving and fearing God. But the terror that the soul is learning, speaking, and acting upon is God. Say that again. Say that again. <laughs> the soul is a part of God. The soul is a created being which is understanding God, which is loving God and fearing God. But the Torah which the soul is thinking, speaking, and the mitzvahs that it's doing, they are God. Okay. Oh. Huh? No, the, the, the concept what? of the Torah is the word of God, and so that's really... It's not just the word of God. Yeah, but the God, is God put himself in the Torah. Oh, very good. How does that work? How is it possible for God to put himself in the Torah, right? That's what he's going to deal with now. And although the Holy One, blessed is he is called Ein Soif, is infinite, and his greatness can never be fathomed, and no thought can apprehend him at all. And so are also his will and his wisdom, as it is written, there is no searching of his understanding, and can you find God by searching? And again, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Yeah, so God is like completely out of our reach, completely out of our reach. Nevertheless, it is in this connection that it has been said, right? Our sages say this in the Talmud. Where you find the greatness of the Holy One, blessed is He, 
there you also find his humility. In other words, God is not just great. God is not just out of reach. God makes himself specifically within reach. We see this every Shabbat at the end of the Vaitain, for example. It talks about... The what? About, it talks about um, the three places you can find his greatness and his humility. Okay. At least in the... You know, at the end of Shabbat, there's a... Vaitain Lecha? Okay. Yeah. I'm just trying, I'm trying to... At the end of it, they put... It's probably in the other book. I don't say it. Okay, fine. Maybe. Maybe. But they, yeah. They so put it, it in there? In the Torah, it says it. We're in Prophets, it says it. And then in the writings, it says it just like that. This idea. For the Holy One, blessed is He, has compressed His will and wisdom within the 613 commandments of the Torah and in their laws, as well as within the combination of the letters of the Torah the books of the prophets and the writings, and in the exposition thereof, which are to be found in the Agadot and Midrashim of our rabbis of blessed memory. Wow. Go and ask someone, where is God, right? Can you understand God? Can you? The answer is no. Right? The, the, our, our prophets tell us that. They say, uh, His greatness can never be fathomed. No thought can apprehend him. There is no searching of his understanding. Can you find God by searching? There's no way. He's completely unreachable. And then we say, no, no, no. Yeah, you're right. He's not reachable. But then God compressed himself. Literally, he had to compress himself. Because if God is infinite, how could he be found in 613 commandments? How could he be found in a pair of tefillin, which has to be in a very, very specific way? You know, if the tefillin is not square, it's not tefillin. Come on, an infinite God cares about square. You know, if the tefillin is not black, it's not tefillin. God's not there. So you have this infinite God. When we think about infinity, we think about like free-for-all, kumbaya, everything goes. That's not how it works. There's no such thing as everything goes. We have to appreciate that as creations... We have absolutely no capacity to be in touch with the Creator. Creator and creation are of completely different wavelengths. There's no way for us to meet. It's impossible. The created being cannot make up channels of connection with the Creator. It doesn't work because the Creator is infinitely transcendent. Completely transcendent. I'm saying a bunch of words I mean the same thing. Right? It, there's no way. No way at all. There's no way to understand Him, no way to feel Him, no way, no way to anything. There's only one way. If the Creator condenses Himself, how He did it, God knows. <laughs> we have no idea how. But we know that this is, you want to know the address, you want to know, you want to know where to find God? There's only one place. In the 613 mitzvahs. In the words of Tanakh, and in the explanations of Tanakh and the Midrashim and basically Torah, the only way, the only place, the only address for God is in Torah and mitzvahs. Everything outside of that, you're, you're grabbing a straw. It's, it's meaningless. But Torah is all, all this a Torah. Oh, you've got plenty to do. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty. There's plenty there to do to keep you busy. <laughs> all of Hashem's wisdom is there. I was, I was curious that's the only place you'll find Hashem's wisdom. Right, so that's that's the point. Than all of His wisdom. 
What do you mean all this wisdom? Is there anything left out? Is there anything left out? We don't need to know. You're like talking you said, about you science know. and all of those things. No, no, no. no that's what you mean. You know, they used to like, you know, we can study Torah forever and it's, you never finish, right? There's always here because it's God's wisdom. But did God put all his wisdom in? In other words, there's no that? such thing as all. There's no, there's no such thing as all. What do I mean by that? God's and wisdom is not quantified. Right, so you don't quantify wisdom. You know, God and his wisdom are one. So you're talking about God. So there's no quantifying God. Without saying it's like it's his brain. What's that? Which basically means, one second, which basically means that the child that's learning Aleph Bet, Aleph Bet from Torah, not Aleph Bet from a, from a newspaper. No, but Aleph Bet of Torah, the Aleph of Anecha Hashem Alekecha, he's learning the Aleph Bet of Torah. And the greatest genius tzaddik that already knows the entire Torah, they're in touch with the same God in the same exact way. Because God's wisdom is not quantified. It, is this God's wisdom? And is it here? If I'm learning this, if I'm in touch with this, if I'm thinking this, speaking this, or doing this, I'm connected. Exactly the same way as everyone, as, as <clears throat> the one who has more. Now, does that mean it's enough only to do a little bit? No, of course not. You have a job. Your job is to do all the mitzvahs and learn the entire Torah, etc. But here, let's talk about the actual, the, the essential idea of connecting to God can only be done through Torah and mitzvahs because God, for whatever reason, and in somehow, in some way, compressed himself into that. It's a compression. He has to really, like, you know, suppress himself and to squeeze himself into this. But he did. He did. So when we come in touch with that, that's how we're coming in touch with God. Everything else, anything that's outside of that, has nothing to do with connecting to God. Nothing at all. All creations of God, etc. But it's not God. And even thinking about God and loving God cannot compare to that. Because when I think about God, I'm a created being trying to fathom and understand the Creator. <laughs> what? You're not even on the same wavelength. Yeah, it's very nice. Think might get you somewhere, but if those thoughts and that passion doesn't bring you to actually connect to God, you're going nowhere. So when someone says, I have God in my heart, you know my response is, that's impossible. It's impossible for God to be in your heart. He didn't put himself there. You may love God in your heart. You want to get in touch with God? Do a mitzvah. Let's learn some Torah. Right? Yes, of course, everyone has God in their heart. But to say, no, I'm not going to do a mitzvah because I have God in my heart, that's not how it works. If you want that God in your heart to really be God, if you want that God in your heart to really be accessible to you, that God in your heart is only accessible through doing the mitzvah. You know the famous story, you probably heard it a hundred times. Once a rabbi came to a community, he was fundraising money for a very important cause. And he gets up there and he gives a whole speech. And afterwards, he goes around the shoal asking everyone what they're going to commit. So he comes to a certain guy and he says, No, what are you going to do? So he says, I have God in my heart. I feel very bad for everything that's going on, but it's, it's all over here. It's all. So he tells him like this, you know, a few months ago, I was having issues with my heart. I went to the cardiologist. I come to the doctor and the doctor takes my hand. And he starts to feel right over here. 
So I said, doctor, the problem is over here in my heart, not in my hand. So the doctor said, in order for me to know what's going on in your heart, I have to see what's going on in your hand. You want to tell me I have God in your heart? No, no, no. If you're forgiving, you're writing out the checks, you're giving money to charity, then we know that you have God in your, in your heart. So what, what's the idea of here? Someone could love God so much. That doesn't compare to giving tzedakah. That doesn't compare to lighting Shabbos candles. That doesn't compare to shaking a lulav on the right day. It doesn't compare to sitting in a sukkah. It doesn't compare to eating matzah on Pesach. It doesn't, there's no connection. It doesn't compare to learning Torah, to saying words of Tehillim. Because that's where God is. Someone says, oh, I want to make up my own prayers that speak to me. Then you're praying to yourself. Then you're praying to yourself. You're not connecting to God. You're not praying. Take the words of Tehillim. Take the words from the Siddur. This is Torah. This is, that's where God is. That's why we don't make up our own prayers. We don't know how to do this stuff. That's why we take a Siddur. That's why we take a Tehillim. Because that's where God is. And when we recite these prayers, then we're connecting to Hashem. All right, let's continue a little bit more here. Uh, where are we on time? Yeah, we have a few minutes. Um, all this, so on the bottom of the, on the, on the left side, bottom of the paragraph over here, about 10 lines up. All this, why did God compress himself and put himself into the 613 mitzvahs and into the words of the Torah, etc.? All this in order that each neshama or ruach or nefesh in the human body should be able to comprehend them through its faculty of understanding and to fulfill them as far as they can be fulfilled in act, speech, and thought, thereby clothing itself with all its ten faculties and these three garments. The reason why God put himself into the Torah and into the mitzvahs is in order that the soul should be able to connect to Hashem and become subsumed and completely submerged and enveloped in God Almighty through the fact that His ten faculties of intelligence and emotions are going to be engaged in either the thought, speech, and action of Torah and its mitzvahs. A little bit more. Therefore, has the Torah been compared to water? It's compared to water in the prophet. It says, whoever is thirsty, come and drink water. It's talking about Torah. It's talking about you know, uh, quenching your thirst. So what, what's the comparison to water? For just as water descends from a higher to a lower level, right? that's the nature of water. You spill water on the table. Where is it going to go? On the floor. Because water goes downwards. So just as water descends from a higher to a lower level, so as the Torah descended from its place of glory, which is His will and wisdom, blessed be He. For the Torah and the Holy One, blessed is He, are one and the same, and no thought can apprehend Him at all. From there, the Torah has progressively descended through hidden stages, stage after stage, with the descent of the worlds. Here he's trying to give us a little bit of like code words of what exactly happened to the Torah, how it became... How all of a sudden became a box of tefillin? How did it become uh, matzah? How did it become that? So it goes, you know, it's hidden stages, stage after stage, with the descent of the worlds until it clothed itself in corporeal substances. <laughs> what a fancy word for basically for physicality. For physicality. And in things of this world. Yeah, worldly concepts, yeah. If you read the Torah, what do you see in the Torah? What's in the Torah? Words. Not words. Talks about physical stuff. 
stones and animals and trees and flowers and I don't know, food, drink. That's what it talks about. Cows and sheep. It doesn't talk about uh, mystical stuff. It doesn't talk about these things. There's not one mystical word in the Torah. Everything is based. I mean, you could take the Torah, translate it into English. You think yeah, it was it was written by I don't know the author of Harry Potter. Same. It's a story. Yeah, it's even more practical than Harry Potter, right? Amazing. And yet, what is it really? It's God's wisdom. But it came down one level to another level, another level until. It goes into everything physical, comprising almost all of the commandments of the Torah, their laws, and the combinations of material letters written with ink in a book, namely the 24 volumes of the Torah, Prophets, and Writings. All this in order that every thought should be able to apprehend them, and even the faculties of speech and action, which are on a lower level than thought, should be able to apprehend them and be clothed in them. So here, here's a very fascinating point. That Altarab is making. I'm sure, we've all heard of like the teachings of Kabbalah. What, what does Kabbalah mean? Well, I mean mysticism. It's a mystical type of teaching. And you know, we're, we're doing this course. And so people ask me, are you allowed to learn Kabbalah before you're 40? First of all, most people are after 40. They're the ones that are coming to this class. But that, that's totally beside the point. Totally beside the point. So there, there's there's a general, there was a general challenge with Kabbalah. What was the general challenge of Kabbalah? Like this. When you read the when you read the Torah, the Bible, so you read it and translate it, you have you have a you have a grasp of what's going on over here. Right? In other words, the Torah is a very um, it, it's a book that speaks to the regular mind. The regular mind can understand it and grasp it, and you know, there's a story, there's mitzvahs, there's laws, etc. Now, the fact of the matter is that if you just read the ten, the five books of Moses, you're not gonna know how to behave as a Jew. That's fine. Okay, so obviously you need to have, obviously you need to have, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the tradition. You have to have the Torah Shabbal Peh. You have to have the laws. You have to have the Talmud. You need to have all these things in order to know exactly how to behave. But to understand what's being written over there, there's a basic understanding of the book. That's that. No problem. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. This book is not what it seems to be. It's not just a story of Cain killing Abel. It's not just a story of Abraham going from Haran to the land of Israel or then going down to Egypt. It's not just a story of 12 tribes. It's not just a story of 10 brothers selling one brother into slavery. It's not just a story of an entire nation being enslaved in Egypt and then going out with a bunch of miracles. It's not what it is. It's not what it is. What do we just read over here? This is an expression of God himself. This is God compressing himself specifically in this way. And by the way, a person can come and look at the Torah and say, you know, this story could have been said a little bit differently. This verse could have been worded differently. It would have been clearer. It would have been more poetic. It would have been whatever. And the answer to that is no. It could not be said differently. You know why? Because if it was said differently, it wouldn't hold God. God wouldn't be there in that, in that sentence. Because a verse is not a sentence. It's not an expression of a story. A pasuk, a verse in the Torah, is a code that holds God. Right? Imagine you're looking at a computer screen. Beautiful screen. It's got a lot of stuff there. They say, you know, show me the code behind it. I go and look at the code, and I see all this gibberish. I say, 
all this gibberish, no spaces, no periods, no commas, no exclamation marks. Let's you know, split this stuff up. You're going to start splitting this stuff up. You're going to go back to the screen. You know what you're going to see? A disaster. Total and complete disaster. So what's going on over here? The Torah that we're reading is a code that contains within it God. You know what Kabbalah is? Kabbalah is helping you understand how is God expressed in these words. How is the story of Cain and Well, not just the story that happened 5,784 years ago. It's a story that's happening today inside of you. The story of the exodus from Egypt, the slavery, the exodus, all of that. It's not just a story that we remember once a year, Pesach, we eat matzah, and we drink four cups of wine, and we have a wonderful time at the Seder. It's a story that's happening right now inside, inside of you. The only way to understand, to compute that, is if you have that manual of understanding how that works. That's what Kabbalah is all about. The problem with Kabbalah until Hasidus came to the world was that Kabbalah was using physical terminology describing things in a way that to the simple mind was very wild, was incomprehensible. It was incomprehensible. So what did Hasidus do? Hasidus came and in the language of the Baal Shem Tov it said it it peeled away the physicality of Kabbalistic terms. It peeled away at that physicality. When Kabbalah expresses things in a very physical way, Chassidus came and said, it doesn't mean that in a physical sense. Because in a physical sense, it first of all doesn't make sense. And it could be contrary to the way a Jew should be behaving. You have to understand what these physical terms really mean. What is the code behind it? What, is the, what, what are these expressions really mean? Once we do that, once we understand the blueprint of behind the scenes, at that point you have a much greater appreciation for the Torah itself, the mitzvahs that we do, etc. It gives a whole different life to it. As the Tzemach Tzedek once said, that you should know that every part of Torah that you learn here in this world, you might be learning a law, let's say my cow went into someone's field and dug a hole in the ground. And now it becomes all question, who has to pay for that hole? Do I have to pay for it? Do you have to pay for it? The whole story, right? And you have these sages discussing who has to pay for it. What are we talking here about? A cow making a hot dog, digging a hole. In, and Torah is getting so involved in this. So Tzavach Tzadik said, you think that's all this is about? You should know that in heaven they're learning the same halacha. But they're not learning about a cow. They're not learning about a field. They're not learning about money. There's a divine code that's being expressed here. And that's what they're learning. So he said, when you learn this halacha in this world, you're learning about a cow and a field and a hole and money. And you realize that after 120, you're going to go upstairs and you're going to learn a whole new dimension to this. It becomes much more exciting. This is a much more exciting type of Torah. Not necessarily we're going to fully comprehend it now. It might be impossible for us to comprehend it, but we should know that this reality is there. And there are parts of it that are relevant, that are accessible. And the more we avail ourselves to this access, the closer we get to the time when this will be accessible to all. Just like there's a halacha, well, under this, there's a halacha that on, on Friday afternoon you're supposed to taste the food of Shabbos. You're supposed to taste it. Same thing over here. When Mashiach will come, the inner dimension of the Torah is going to be available. We're already getting closer. We're already at Friday afternoon, so we have to start tasting from it. And the more we taste, the more we want more of it. Alrighty, we'll stop right over here on page 16.